Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. is the word no oh, <laughs> apple apple uh, had a few things to say today you know <laughs> did they was there something happening yeah there was an event today um huh. you, you, well, I thought, well like one of the things that i want to talk about uh, at least to, to kind of kick things off before we talk about the apple mac event was how it started um i don't know if if any of the three of you got a chance to watch it live or even watch it afterward I did. Okay. I got to watch it live this time. I never do. I like I had two cancellations in my afternoon, so I like Oh nice. I got to eat and watch the event. Like almost all of it. I didn't get to watch yeah. all of it. I got like like three fourths of the way through. I mean it's my job, so I have yeah. to watch it, right? <laughs> well, I have a job in an office, so I did not watch it, but you know, I, I caught up enough enough of the snark from Twitter to uh to get a, a gist <laughs> of the uh the tenor of the event. It sounded like Twitter was very thrilled with it. Yeah, the thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, it started off with an accessibility video, um, a video about Apple's uh, commitment to accessibility. And look, you're already going to get me like really excited and happy and uh, thrilled about these things. And of course, crying because tears of joy just fall from my face with like no, no friction at all. But um, <laughs> it was a really awesome video. Uh, it, it showed how someone can use a pro tool like uh, Final Cut Pro and need to use accessibility tools to make it happen. And this awesome person was was editing video and using these these buttons on either side of their uh, of their wheelchair to actually make changes and make adjustments to the video. And I just thought that was really, really cool. And it was interesting to me mostly because some of the things that Apple announced today, uh, there were, there were some questions about the accessibility of those, uh, of those things, including the, the touch bar, which we'll get to and, uh, the Mac in general. So I thought that that was really cool that the video started off with that. And I just, um, I'm happy that, you know, Apple in the past has has started the conversation with moments of silence, with, um, with with things like this, and that they continue to be committed to accessibility. So that was a, a little cool moment for me. I, I think they're definitely committed to accessibility. I think um, it's worth noting, though, uh, something I hear from a lot of people that you know do have accessibility issues is feeling frustrated that sometimes these um, accessibility things are not. Um, complete. So uh, a really good example of this, something I use all the freaking time on my iPhone is um, I went to accessibility and I enabled uh, this option that lets you swipe down two fingers from the top and will read whatever is on screen. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the frustrations with this, it's a great feature. Like like I will get really long articles and have them like read read to me while I'm doing, um, you know, just nominal things like, uh, you know, UVing or doing geometry stuff. But 
but it's very, very buggy uh, with the way it handles headers and things like that at the top of the page. And some sites it just won't read from at all. And I was talking to people that actually, you know, because they can't physically read, you know, they're, they're, they have sight issues, um, you know, how frustrated they've been about Apple's um, kind of tolerance to not really go deeper with this feature. So I think it's fair to say, um, you know, Apple is definitely committed to this, and I think they've raised the bar. But I also think in some ways, I, I really notice a, um, a tendency with Apple, with Apple fans, and I'm one, to kind of cheerlead whatever the company is doing, even when the facts don't fit the situation. Um, you know, really good example. The leadership numbers came out uh, as far as number of women Apple's finally hiring in senior positions this year. They aren't good. And, you know, a lot of Apple writers pretend like it is good because they see things that make them feel like Apple cares. So I just think it's worth, you know, noting there is a little bit of a disconnect between, you know, a real commitment to bring those features forward and a slick, polished video that makes people who care about these issues feel good. Well, I think that, that you know, they definitely, especially at upper management, need a lot more women. And I think that that's one of the things that even if you hire people by the time that they get up so that they can hire different people, it, it makes a real big difference. Um, sure. The people that run the ship to have that. And um, I think that Apple's definitely, I think especially since they, they started with accessibility, I think that they're trying to show. And they had many more women on the stage than they usually do they as did. well. They did. Which, again, I think that that shows that they know that this is an issue that people care about. I do think that this is going to be a problem for them to actually have the numbers that match the message, as you said. I yeah. think that it's hard for Apple to – like they're, they're difficult with changing the guard. And I think that that's going to be something that's going to be difficult for them. So I hope that they start to hire more women that are going to be at, you know again, high management positions because that's the only way that we're really going to change the ecosphere and also make it a more welcoming and opening community. And I would love to have more people – that are, you know, that are dealing with different accessibility issues to also be running things, which they are actually getting quite good about actually hiring people to test things and try them out that are dealing with these issues to see how they work. Because someone that does not have a site issue is not going to be able to understand with someone else that might have that will be able to use it. And what are the problems with that? Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, we should talk about the Mac, though. Like, let's talk about the actual events. Like, I mean, I mean, how did how did you all feel about this? Like the you, know, you had the Apple TV update, which was uh, it seemed pretty substantial, and they did have a woman up there demoing that. I really appreciated that. I mean, what was everybody's feelings on the um, you know the Apple TV update? <laughs> really, really, Georgia Dow, really. It was okay. It's nice. It's nice. It's nice. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't. It. It didn't. It. It wasn't like my experience with the Mac, right? Like, yeah. I like. I was like, hey, nice. That's good. I don't know. Was anyone else like rocked by by it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Big time. Yeah. Huh. It looked great. It looked amazing. What rocked you with it? Well, I think it's the fact, and love your other opinions here, but for me, I've completely, you know, cut the cord. So, you know, I do subscribe to Hulu for Sailor Moon Crystal. I subscribe to HBO for Westworld. I subscribe to Netflix for Westworld you know, is to watch so Star sick, Trek. Amazing. It's Sorry. so awesome. <laughs> yes, that is accurate. Can confirm. And you know, it's uh, it's basically getting all this um, video channel content and bringing it all to your to your screen in a better way, like live TV for some of these apps, like the CBS app. It just 
um, it seemed like a more natural way to watch TV because, like, going up and through menus is it's a pain in the butt. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, nothing about the Apple TV really gets me excited because, I mean, since I, especially since I bought my Xbox One and I have my TiVo running through the HDMI, like, that's pretty much my, my Apple TV at this point. And it does everything that I want it to do, including some things that the Apple TV won't do, which is, you know, which was provide both live TV off of the cable subscription that I still pay for because I'm a monster and for and, and stuff like Amazon Video that I do watch rarely but occasionally. And I, I mean, honestly, I'm pretty happy with how the Xbox One behaves as a set top box that way. So it's like I don't really I, I got the perception. I mean, again, I was catching up on the event after the fact. Basically, this is it, it seems to me that this new TV app and you, you all can correct me having watched the, the full event is something that's more along the lines of just kind of one-stop shopping for all these shows and organizing them by show instead of having to having to go into each individual app to find the shows that you're wanting. Is that is that I, pretty much most of it? I would say it's more it's more algorithmic. Like so say um you know I watch Sailor Moon Crystal on Hulu, right? And then I watch Designated Survivor and I bought that from iTunes and then you know I'm working through um you know Scream season 2 on Netflix, right? Um, even though Netflix isn't going to be part of that, but this is an example of different, you know, shows that are under this umbrella. So as I understood the event, it's going to know that I watched last week with John Oliver or Westworld, and it's going to like show me when those new shows come out as it is right now, um, you know, because I don't have a cord at all. Um, you know, I end up like, oh, did Samantha B come out today? Did you see the email, Frank? I don't remember seeing the email. Well, let's go down five menus and look at this and hope that, you know, the new season of Full Frontal is out. For now, it's all going to be organized into one place. Um, so that's one. But the live TV, like going from apps, that's also huge. So imagine... Um, I don't know that a bunch of uh, like uh, anti-government extremists took over the Oregon uh, Wildlife Reserve and it was breaking that none of them were convicted. Uh, if I wanted to go see that story when that story is exploding on Twitter, I would just go to the CBS app and it would be up, like watching MSNBC live. So it's just kind of an integration to bring all this stuff to you in an algorithmic way. Yeah, I mean, I guess it sounds to me like what my TiVo has been doing for ten years, though. Is is, is what you, when you're hearing you explain it that way? Because I mean, it's that's why it's not. But maybe that's why it's not exciting to me because I'm still paying for TiVo and I'm still paying for cable and that. Or I've had that for a long time, so it doesn't seem like that's something that you know. If you've cut the cord, I could understand it. That's one of the reasons I haven't cut the cord because it feels like it's still trying to catch up to what I can just get with my TiVo right now. You know. Okay. Well. Yeah. There you go. So do we want to talk about the Mac Pros? Like, let's get to the meat of this, right? Oh, let's like, do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's I'm talk waiting. about it. Okay, Georgia, are you upgrading this year? I'm so excited. I don't they're you so expensive. Are? Yeah, they're, yeah, so, they're so expensive. expensive. They're so, so expensive. expensive. This is like not a little bit of expense. This is a big expense. It's gonna cut into my VR um <laughs> empire. <laughs> oh. oh just build a hackintosh, Georgia. It's fine. This is what I could not believe. So my <laughs> 2013 MacBook, it's like the chosen one. It's like it was sculpted <laughs> by like by God uh, herself. That's right, to come down and make it. What gets me is I spent $3,000 on this, and it is the absolute maxed out model from that year. Oh, yeah, um, you did. You went all out, didn't you? I did that year. What gets me is today, if I go spend $2,800... 
I only got a 512 SSD, which is just not acceptable. It's ridiculous. And then if I want a one terabyte, I'm going to end up spending like $3,100 plus tax. Yeah. And it's just yeah. so overpriced. It is so overpriced. The GPU so in it is still not powerful yeah. enough for Unreal. It's not power enough to do VR, even through an emulation error um, layer. I'm not sure if you put boot camp on it. This going to be fast enough on that side for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear this you. is... It's 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 really expensive for what you're getting, but I know, I, sing that's it, what I sing think. It. Yeah, I, I want to hear other opinions. Though. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that storage thing too is not to be underestimated because, like, I went through this whole process with my parents last year when my dad's MacBook was dying, and we needed to get my my mom's the tacky in the family, so she gets the new stuff and then passes the 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 old and buses stuff down to my dad. But so she was looking for a new computer, and I was looking at, at like the MacBook Air with her, and she's like. But it's only got 128 gigs of storage, and I have, like, 500 gigs worth of photos. What am I going to do with all of that? And and I actually had to talk my dad out of buying something with a spinning disk for my mom because that was going to be a terrible decision. But that's that's a num- that's the only number that they really cared about was how much can I keep on this thing. And right. it's just – it's amazing that you're paying $2,300 for a, a brand – for a – pretty much top of the line machine that's going to run out of storage space almost instantaneously if you're doing especially if you're you're targeting this thing towards pro users people yeah. who are going to be editing video who are going to like like i have 500 gigs on my on my macbook pro that Brie, you you talked me into and i'm eternally grateful for you that you did <laughs> because i'm struggling with storage on this thing all the time with all the logic projects that are left from editing the podcast Absolutely. And have you experimented with like pulling out? An, so I have a, an SSD, a Thunderbolt SSD that was really expensive. It's one gig. Um, it's very fast. But the problem I run into is if I have Final Cut or Logic open and I disconnect it, it will corrupt my entire library. Oh it my will God. just corrupt every single project. I've lost all the original <gasps> Rev60 movies from that. Oh, my God. So, uh-huh. And that's... And that's an error with, you know, just the the way this, like, even the assumption that you're going to have an external disk paired with a laptop, and then you've got Apple's Pro software, you know, Final Cut 10 and, you know, Logic, it just, the use case does not work. So, um, you know, Georgia, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that this is, it feels like a very sexy laptop. The GPU is a really big step up. Um, even though it's got sixth generation, you know, Intel processor in it, it's it's acceptable. But I'm looking at it, and I I really just don't think the value is there. I'm sorry, um, and I think it's so telling that you know Microsoft had an event yesterday where they're basically giving you a 28 inch Cintiq tablet for the same price as a Cintiq tablet this much smaller, and throwing in a free computer along with it. And to me, that is a much more exciting machine. Like, that is more forward-thinking than a, a touch bar at the top. So, I mean, that's my opinion. How do, well, how do you l- all feel? let's ask yeah. Micah, because that touch bar, that touch bar we haven't spoken about, Micah, are you salivating? Uh, I was, yeah, I was earlier today, and I, I still am. I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited about this. I have network attached storage, and I move everything off of my Mac after I'm done with it. So, like, I, I a project based person. So, after one project, be it video, audio, uh, f- photos, graphic design, what have you, it sits on my desktop while I'm doing it, and then it moves to my network attached storage after that. So, the the storage doesn't really affect me. Um, I 
I think this computer is, yes, it's beautiful. Uh, it's sexy. It's got that fantastic uh, bar that's so helpful in a lot of the applications that I use on the daily. So I use Photoshop all the time, and I'm really excited about getting to have those tools available to me. I do a lot of photo editing because we uh, have pretty photo-heavy work at iMore. And so, you know, doing things within the photos app and, and adjusting colors and stuff like that from that bar is going to be really cool. Uh, of course, send a lot of emoji. So the the fact that it turns into an emoji bar is really neat. Um, <laughs> and again, my emoji article, by the way, is out which people panned. People hate emoji. All the emoji haters came to comment on my article on emoji. Those people have no souls. <laughs> And I'm so sorry true. if you're listening and you fall into that camp. I'm sorry to inform you that you also have no soul. And I'm really – I'm excited <laughs> about, you know, even though it means that the stuff that I have right now uh, is going to require dongling, uh, okay. I think that it's really cool that there are four USB-C ports uh, uh. In, in this thing because – that is the opportunity to push out and push in a whole lot more. And the the thing that actually got me more excited than even this MacBook Pro itself and its awesome little bar where I can use Touch ID to log in, which I'm excited about, is the the the... Wow, what am I trying to say? The display, not monitor, the display that Apple and LG partnered on. And uh, I did a piece up today about that display, and they've got a 4K and a 5K one. And the way that it only takes one cord with no extra little thing hanging off of it to plug into your Mac and keep it powered, and also it pushes everything else, I think that's incredible. The idea of only using one cord to do everything, that's so Apple and it's so mica. Because if I only have to put one cord in things, yes, absolutely, uh, I'm sold so yeah i i'm excited about it i'm not too excited about the dongling it the dongling yeah. it is not I, I, that's not a happy moment for me and it was funny because when we talked about it on the armor show i was like please don't get rid of my usb <laughs> and i'm like please actually add me an extra one was what i was hoping for and then when the he did they left you the jack when when <laughs> yeah yeah thanks thanks phil when uh <laughs> phil Schiller was like showing and he swiped it around i went <gasps> wait and my husband went uh, I think they got rid of all of them. And I went, no, don't even do that to me. <laughs> it was like a hateful moment. Okay, but besides that, the the touch pad, uh, the touch pad strip, touch strip. Um, the touch, no, <laughs> the touch, touch bar. Touch bar, touch strip bar um, on the top. <laughs> that is absolutely awesome. Like the only thing mm-hmm. that would be more awesome is if it had like the actual keyboard itself was was able to change that would be the only thing that would have been cooler than that i think that's going to make working when you're doing a lot of different things uh using photoshop i'm that i'm really excited about i think that was exceptional oh, me too i i definitely agree with that um i i'm i'm a little worried about the position of it because um in you know some of the people i've had early hands-on have noted this that you know if you're up there like trying to adjust those keys, you're like trying to reach over your entire keypad, hoping you right. don't accidentally touch it. Yeah. So right. if you're doing that a lot, I I have to assume they tried it at the bottom, and maybe it just screws up your typing in some way, or your wrists hit it. But I'm I'm a little bit skeptical about um, about the positioning. But beyond that, um, you know, I'm not trying to turn the spotlight on the Microsoft. I mean, you guys know I love Apple stuff, but when I think about revolution 
revolutionary interfaces. It's someone that really, you know, I've paid my rent using Photoshop and Illustrator. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not yeah. talking like like just editing contrast to a photo. I'm talking like spending hundreds of hours a week, uh, you know, well, not a week, but, you know, yeah, on this yeah. stuff. You know, getting the dial, the Microsoft Puck product that they're coming no, out with. No, stop it! You and, are and not. Twisting. You are not talking good things about the Puck. <laughs> You're joking. You totally. It looks great. No, it's you are not. The st- You're from the Canada. You're supposed puck. to love Pucks. You're gonna dial a Puck on the uh, thing. I'm gonna lose no, the Puck. Seriously, no. You, you no. Listen, no. listen. The I puck, agree with Bree. I love the Puck. I love, love the Puck. The puck. So, yeah. If the the Intuos, um, you know, the the Wacom Intuos, the, the you know, every year they try to get people to go buy new versions of this, and they'll do something like like say, oh, we switched from five twelve pressure levels to ten twenty four or some nonsense like that. But the thing that really made a big difference is, I think it was with the Intuos four, they added something very similar to the side. It was a touch bar. It was like this little um, iPod Mini style disc, and you could turn opacity or you could change hue or saturation. It was awesome. Like everyone used that. So this is basically a mobile version. Do people of that. still so, use it? Absolutely. No, they don't. You know why? You know why? <laughs> this this is, oh. you know. Okay, you're right, Georgia. <laughs> Georgia Dow is wrong. dropping the puck. I'm, wrong. I'm dropping I'm the wrong. puck. Uh, I don't know no. about the puck. And that is not worse than you making dongling a word. I'm sorry. <laughs> Georgia just wants the everyone to puck off, you know. Oh. She just wants it. She wants it gone. Yeah, get the puck out of here. Is what she's oh, doing. So literally yesterday, uh, when I saw the was it yesterday, Bree? Whatever day the Microsoft uh, the <laughs> Surface came out, um, I watched the video, and I kid you not, I sat there mouth agape with goosebumps, and yeah. I was just absolutely taken aback not only because the singer was oh my gosh i love how they took that song and and made it kind of, oh it was just really good the video was super good and i will have to send the link to steve so we can get that in the show notes but it was for the new the new uh surface thingy whatever it's called um and i had you know tweeted about how i thought it was really cool i think i said my goosebumps have goosebumps with the video <laughs> and i ended up uh having someone tell me that i was ignorant because i wouldn't explain why i got such a physical reaction for this uh product that i guess wasn't they an went Apple all product. therapy on you oh they were they were very <laughs> upset with me because you can't be excited about anything unless it's exactly apple, right? unless it's apple yeah right and that you know it was yeah i that's beside the point other than the fact that, like, this is kind of the first time where the thing that came before the Apple event ended up having more of a reaction for me than the actual Apple event. Like, something, some other product from another company got me so very much excited. And today, and part of that is because, you know, literally everybody at iMore has been just working nonstop all day, but there was less excitement. So, yeah, I, I think that, um, the the puck yes georgia the stylus and all of the cool stuff including the way that 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 thing works like a drafting table was really i liked really the thing neat. that worked as a drafting table that was pretty cool that was pretty I, cool I, I i guess i would say this and you know we talked about this on rocket a bit um and you know the last product that apple brought out that was really aimed at creatives was the ipad pro and the pencil and, you know, I wrote for iMore about some of the excellent apps that exist over there. Graphic is, it's not quite as good as Illustrator, but it's very good. 
But the problem is now that we're, I mean, we're past a year since the iPad Pro came out. Um, yeah, the truth is the, the pro apps there, the ecosystem for that just doesn't exist in a way where it's comparable to your Windows counterparts. You know, Pixelmator is good, but it's not Photoshop and will never be Photoshop. So the problem is, you know, Microsoft, it, it's, Microsoft has all these really good pro apps, like Final Cut 10 was such a disaster. Now, I love Final Cut. It's what I use. I don't use Premiere. But a lot of people felt that Final Cut was such a disaster. Now, pre, uh, Adobe Premiere does have more people using it. And that is a product that's over there on Windows. You have Photoshop is on Windows. Illustrator is on Windows. ZBrush is on Windows. Maya is on Windows. You know Photoshop. Uh, 3D Max. You can, but I'm saying all of this pro software is over there and it's on Windows. It will work with this you know, Surface um, product that came out. If you're comparing that to the iPad Pro, you know, the last product Apple really made for creatives, I think the ecosystem is just not there for it. So then, you know, you can look at this Mac here and you can see the touch bars, like they're big innovation. It looks good. I'm going to use that. I'm sure I will love it once I eventually get a Mac for that. But I think it's fair to say that in between the value and, you know, the stuff that really matters in it, like the GPU isn't that great. Um, you know, the CPU isn't that great. I am genuinely at a point where I'm considering going back to Windows because Windows 10 is not that bad. And honestly, Apple's tolerance <laughs> for Apple's tolerance for bugs in their flagship operating systems is pretty high nowadays. That's true. That's they they have they haven't been good with it, yeah. Yeah, and I find myself spending Saturdays fixing my Mac now like I used to when I left Windows. So I, I hate coming out of an Apple event and feeling negative, but I was not impressed with this at all. Yeah, I mean, if you, well, since since you're not impressed, you can imagine how much, how sodium saturated I'm going to make this discussion. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say the unpopular opinion because that's why you people keep me around, which is that um, I think the touch bar is a complete gimmick. I, I honestly do. Really? I feel I, – I honestly do. I have been – and honestly, I feel like this is kind of a trend with Apple, the last couple of hardware revisions. Like I, I feel this way about 3D Touch as well. I feel and, – and I also feel that way about like the force click mouse pad or, or touch pad rather. Yes. Like I, I've had that on my laptop for two years. I've, I've turned it off and never missed it because I just don't know what it's going to do and, I, and it never really seems to do anything interesting. Like I'm looking at this – Really comprehensive article that iMore has on all the different things that that the touch bar can do. And I'm honestly, aside from being able to have access to emoji, which is the one <laughs> thing that is a royal PITA on on Mac OS right now, and I would like to have that. Other than that, and touch ID, I suppose, like there's not really anything that I can't do just as easily with what I already have on on the Mac without the touch bar. But wouldn't you love to have access to like quick access to things like if you're in Photoshop and you choose brushes to have instead of having to click in and out of Windows to be able to have that laid out that's like a set of of keys that are specific to whatever application you're using wouldn't that like save you time? No, it wouldn't because I mean uh, let's take that to Logic because I'm not a Photoshop person, but like fair, I know fair, all yeah. the keyboard shortcuts for Logic that I know by heart. They they it's not even like it's complete muscle memory at this point. I don't need to look yeah. at it. 
And so I don't think that this would really save me a whole lot of time. And there are so many, you know, little things that I don't know that it would be able to necessarily surface the things that I would need to get when I need to get them. I feel like this is kind of they they don't want to give in on the fact that some people really do want to be able to touch the screen. But this is the way of them saying, we don't want to make you able to touch the screen, but we're going to kind of meet you halfway. And I think it's a bad compromise, honestly. I would love to be able to touch the screen. I, I agree with you there. Yeah, I mean, you need to be able to, to make it like a surface in order to do that because I have a touchscreen Windows. We've talked about this before. My work laptop has a yeah. touchscreen. It's terrible yeah. because you just touch it accidentally all the time. I, I think I would say, Steve, as someone that um, does a lot of audio work and I also do a lot of other kinds of work, I do think audio is a bad use case for this yeah, because be. audio doesn't, um, you know, like you can normalize different levels or just you know, DB up or down, but that's, you know, it's not that common a thing. For Photoshop, you are sliding opacity, you're sliding a hue, you know, with um, my exact same thing. Like you can raise weight painting up or down or fine tweak animation when you're setting keys. I think for your particular use case, um, this is here. I'm completely yeah. with you that um, the force touch on the trackpad is very gimmicky. I did agree with you that 3D touch was very gimmicky on the iPhone until a Rocket listener informed me that if you push down into it, you can control the, like, it'll be like a mouse cursor if you have a lot of text on screen. And after you get used to that, like, I would never use a phone without it again. But I, I definitely agree with the overall trend of it does feel that... You know, Apple does have a, a very powerful marketing division, and they can make you believe things. Like, I leave every Apple event going, I, I believe in them. Yeah. I, I love this idea. <laughs> and I think sometimes the reality of that doesn't end up matching. I think the iPad Pro is a really good example. The reality of what that device is a year later does not match that event at all. I, I got to be straight. I'm really thinking about buying that Surface laptop, uh, that Surface uh, canvas. It really looks good. So, I, I think it kind of comes down to that they have their market and it's kind of like a vicious cycle at this point because the people who are willing to spend money, spend that kind of money for a MacBook Pro, you know, they, they have a very specific use case. And this is kind of feeding into that, but it's not necessarily addressing any other use cases. Like, I'm really... I'm really surprised that they're not doing more with the gaming performance. I honestly am. But I guess yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm disappointed. Um because yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's a miss because that's one of the the two main use cases for a, a you know, a full computer right now and they're just basically giving that to Microsoft on a silver platter. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, we should move on though. <laughs> yeah, um that's that pretty much covers it. Uh, there, there was also a, a regular MacBook Pro that doesn't have the touch bar and uh, a few other slight changes and adjustments like a brand new version of Final Cut uh, that I get to try out today. It's pretty, pretty great. Let's move on to talk about virtual reality and uh, actually a pretty terrible thing that happened recently. Um, this This woman was playing a game called... Quiver, if I remember, yes, Quiver. And while she was playing it, a person came up to her and started to make grabbing and pinching motions uh, at her chest. And upon this person saying, telling, telling the person to stop, please stop doing this, they started chasing her around and continued to do it and eventually started to grab what, uh, what's described here as my virtual crotch and began rubbing, okay? Uh, after writing this Medium post uh, describing this and saying that, 
you know, I've been sexually assaulted twice in real life, and this was not far off the feelings that I had. Many, many, many people uh, reached out and said, uh, you know, this is th- this can't be the same thing. It's it's not like that. It's not like that at all. And uh, I think that this is where we can uh, literally turn to Georgia Dow and say, you want to tell us uh, tell us about that? <laughs> hmm. I I think that I understand when people say, well, this isn't the same thing because they probably haven't been in VR and they don't understand that this is it's so much more different than it is in a video game and harassment in a regular 2D video game is horrible and if you've ever been even had the frustration or level of someone you know um camping your i was not everyone knows this but it's like p- camping your bind point where you come back it's really frustrating and difficult and then to have someone that would send you harassing statements is really horrible and difficult. When you're in VR, you really feel like you are there. Everything that you look around is your surroundings to there. When you look at your body, it's there. And it is exceptionally immersive and our our um are the part of our brain that deals with visuals is what we usually deal with what is reality. And so I think that I can understand people not understanding that, but that's someone that probably has not ever dealt with harassment before that probably I like probably is not female because unfortunately more women go through harassment uh, than men do. Um, and they really don't understand how realistic this is. And so when you're there, you feel like you are there. Then there's a scary game. People deal with claustrophobia in the games. I've had games where people said, I cannot continue playing because I have a fear of this. They know that it's not real, but you are there and you're going through it. Now, let's add if this person or someone has has gone through this and they have gone through being assaulted before or bothered or harassed before. Having anything happen to you against your will that someone else finds is funny and you find is traumatic is a horrible experience to go through. And so I think that the level of empathy needs to be um, increased. And I think that people need to understand what we're dealing with here and how damaging that can be to someone. Yeah, no, I definitely uh, agree with that. So we we have a we have a story uh, we're going to link to in the show notes. I talked to CNN for quite a quite a while about that because Georgia, I'm really with you when you say we need to increase our empathy about that. But I think there's um yeah there's almost like a, a boil the ocean like goodwill like you know we're going to create a revolution and people are going to like just be more empathetic that we kind of tend to prescribe for these problems and I don't believe that works. I think that um, I think that our industry needs to get much, 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 much more serious mm-hmm. about labeling uh, VR experiences for what you get. You know, if you look at the history of games, uh, there's a fantastic book out there, Console Wars, and it talks about uh, Ted Kalinske, uh, who's the president of Sega, um, basically starting the ESRB, which is a, a regulating system uh, for the video game industry. is probably the most wildly successful, like corporate self policing measure in history. Um, and what it does is it gives people information out there, um, you know, created by a panel of gamers um, and parents so they can choose what experiences they have. Because like Georgia, um, I've been homeless 
if a VR experience like game had something that like triggered that in me, mm-hmm. um, I would want to. That's probably such an edge case that maybe you can't you know list that there. But I would want to know to stay away from that. Certainly, sexual assault. I'm fortunate enough; I've never been sexually assaulted, but that is something that I know has caused tremendous pain for my friends, and they should have warnings mm-hmm. about that. Steve, the same way your kids. Um, get warning about blood or violence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Georgia, my question for you is CNN didn't put a lot of this in the, 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 the piece that I did with them. But this is my real question. So I think back to when I was a teenager. And you know, now that I'm in my 30s, I can look at that time and see how experiences really set my life on a trajectory. So when you have certain games, like, um, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, the Dead or Alive VR game, which is basically a sexual assault simulator, which has a woman out there. She's protesting, no, no, no. You use the controller and you continue to assault her and you're rewarded for it. I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like this is... um, a formula for teaching kids to to rape people or sexually assault. I mean, am I wrong about that? That this could really damage kids? That kind of intense first person experience. It does. It it lowers yeah. our our level of like whatever you do. You you're setting what is acceptable and what isn't. That's why media right. is such an important. Like we have to watch what our our children and what adults consume because. It does change what you consider okay and what you don't consider okay. And so when you're in a VR experience, they're really intense. Like, they're really like you're there. You believe you are there. I played a game, scary game called Sisters. It was really, really intense. It's about a doll. It's creepy. It. I had three people that tried the game. They could not finish the game because of its intensity to that. Now we add that you are not just doing violent acts, but you're being rewarded for violent acts. Yes, that lowers your level of empathy or care for, for doing these things. It makes it more the norm. And so we need to be worrying. I love the idea of having, you know, the usual set of, you know, blood, gore, but also to add it to experiential things because, um, there's, um, ah, oh, there's one game and I, like this game should have a, a complete trauma warning on this game. It's, a a game about a computer. You're tied up. This computer's gone rogue. It's an, like a robot. It's, I thought this is not a game that most people could be able to play. And if you've, you've dealt with anything, that feeling of powerless is, is exceptionally intense. And so I think that you're absolutely right with that. What what struck me when I was reading this article that the developers wrote after the fact, after this article came out, and and they go through this whole long, optimistic discussion about what they're doing to change the game, how they're putting a power gesture in, and and I'm reading it, and and it occurs to me that they they do they went through and developed this whole thing and put together this power gesture, which sounds like trying to pause, like that that like clock hand thing that you had to do on the connect to try to pause a game, which never ever worked ever. Um, it just sounds very complicated to do in the, in the moment where you're not necessarily going to be able to think about doing something like that. But it occurs to me that they talk a lot about how they felt about it, but they never actually say that they reached out to the woman who wrote the article and, and Can ran you, yeah. any of this by her. And, and it seems like, cause like I'm, I never I've never been sexually assaulted. I don't know what it feels like, but it seems to me like uh, you know, clearly they they're in the same position that I am and I wouldn't have the first clue about 
you know, I wouldn't want to presume to be able to say if something like that would make a difference or not in the game. I would want to be working with the person who had that experience and try to make it better for them, not try to make it, you know, try to guess at how it would make it better for people. I, I, I think that's so perceptive, Steve, and I really want to back up what you're saying there. So we'll link to it in the show notes. But um, the developer's response was well-meaning, but it was really, really hard for me to get through because I was counting the word I in it. It was like, I read this story and I couldn't believe that someone felt this game way about a game I had made. And I was so upset because I didn't want people to think I stood for this. And I had this thought about how I could build this and how I, 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 me. And it was such a paradigm. We see this over and over and over, you know, not just with, you know, women trying to talk to men in the game industry about, you know, systemic sexism, which instantly becomes about the man's feelings. You see this with transgender issues. If someone transgender goes to someone cisgender and says, what you did was not okay with me, it instantly becomes about the cisgender person's feelings. It happens to white people and black, like black people talking to white people about structural racism. Like this is a really big problem. And I would actually posit the thing that they wrote back a, it's not a great gameplay solution to it. It's okay. But B, it's a real, it's a really fantastic example of what not to do if you mess up. Like, it's really important to listen when that happens. So I just, I, I thought it was terrible. I mean, how did everyone else feel about that? I didn't think it was terrible. I think that you're right about him. They put a lot of the emphasis on how they felt about how this happening with their game. I like the fact that they did admit that this is something that was their oversight. So they did say that it was there. They didn't victim blame and say that it was her fault, which is what I worried that people often do. And and how damaging that is, is that when you speak up about something happening to you, then suddenly there happens to be a lot of victim blaming to that. And they didn't do that. So it definitely could have been better, but it definitely could have been worse as well, because they also made a change immediately, which I tried out. And it puts a bubble where no one can enter into that space that you have in front of it. And it's a setting that's easy to access and you can just have it set on. You don't have to change it. You can change it if you want in mid-game, but this is a setting that can be on your character at all times and isn't going to change any of the gameplay at all to that. It's just going to change the space around you that is considered safe where no one else can kind of enter into to that. And so they also made it open source to hope that other people that are dealing with this gaming can be able to um, implement it as well so that they'll also have other women feeling safe. They didn't implement, which I thought that other games have in VR, uh, which is a banning system and a blocking system so that you cannot have someone else be able to say anything that they want to you. And I think that that would be something that they should probably implement as well to make people feel safer in the comfort because this happened because on this game you can speak and you can hear everyone else and they found out that someone was a girl and that's why she was being harassed after that. Yeah, yeah and that, that, like, that's like a basic gaming thing too. It's not even like a VR thing. Like that's something that they have in like Heroes of the Storm when you have someone toxic on your team. I mean, that that's what's kind of surprising. And again, kudos to them at least for, for doing something about it right away rather than getting defensive about it. But it's like you... If you've if you've played games for any amount of time, what you you learn that anyone will try to grief a multiplayer game no matter what. And it you know, you need to be thinking defensively about how can somebody take advantage of that and abuse somebody else in the game. I think it's a common thing and it shouldn't be something that you have to have somebody write a medium post to be able to to figure that out. You know what I mean? 
But but Steve, this is a problem with our yeah. hiring practices in the video oh, yeah. game industry. Of if a woman had yeah. been on that team, if a woman had been hired, if a woman had been on the playtesting committee, if they had if they had valued women enough to get that point of view, anyone, anyone, any woman in the game industry, any woman that ever played one of these games could have told you this was gonna happen. Anyone knows this is going to happen. See, I feel and bad now because I'm one of their playtesters. <laughs> it's, it's in, it's in, it's still in its, its beta mode. I, I have so to say, like, I, think I didn't even think about it. I didn't even okay. think about this. So, yeah, I, you're right. At the very right, least, I having a woman in the game design part of it. When you're talking out for the solution to this, throwing it open to the open source community, which is the most brotastic, terrible, sexist community ever. Do you have any idea how terrible open source is to women? Like, it's just like, it just makes me want to hit my head against the wall. So I hear you, George, when you're saying these are smaller teams, and I understand that's difficult, but hey, it's just, this problem keeps happening because women aren't involved, like, in at the high levels. And you know, this is why we keep having this stupid conversation. How many, Steve, how many times have we done this over the course of Isometric? Had a conversation exactly like this. So we've, we've done about like 130 episodes, so probably at least yeah. 130 times. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, times. I, I just look at this, it's like, I have you, if you're playing multiplayer games, I just don't understand. Like, Hearthstone has six emotes and people find a way to abuse it. And, really? and it's just really? how do you do that? That's people will people will spam emotes at you constantly during the game, oh. and people will send friend requests after a game because that's the only way that you can communicate with each other. And literally, people will send friend requests with the express intention of basically unloading a bunch of vile hatred onto you oh. when you accept oh it. So huh. it's like. It's even in a game where you where they go out of their way to basically limit player interaction to almost nothing. There's still abuse in it. So you just if you're making a multiplayer game, like if you've played a multiplayer game, you know that these things happen. Though I guess if you're, you know, I mean, I don't know why I'm different because I worry about this stuff all the time, even though I don't need to. But you know, if you're anyone who's not a white dude, uh, you know, then this stuff happens to you all the time. And even if you are, sometimes this stuff happens to you all the time. And I just don't understand how you don't be a little bit more proactive. But, you know, there's also a lot of idealism in development that people don't recognize the problems exist until they actually are confronted with them. So I agree. I think this is that's probably why I hate gaming and competitive anything anyway. Like the, those are the reasons that I just do not like any of the, that stuff. Well, it's, then you just get good exactly and then you that. crush people and then they, it doesn't matter yeah. if they're being if they're I don't being feel awful like waiting through the sh- though to get to that point. Like why why s- make myself susceptible to any of this terrible terrible stuff if I can just avoid it completely. Yeah. That's that's the, the Well, that's why I only play with mics off unless I'm with like a group of friends. <laughs> So in general, so I get that. All righty. Um, well, now it's time to to continue. Uh, so, <laughs> <sighs> quite the segue. In case you didn't. In case you didn't know, um, the LGBT community is really, really, really fracking terrible about <laughs> supporting transgender folks it's really terrible at standing up for them it's really terrible at awareness it's really terrible at all of these things and i'm saying this to myself as much as i'm saying it to any other member of the lgbt community um 
now we have heard uh, BuzzFeed, and we'll link this article, uh, has an article out talking about how uh, LGBT leaders, and by that we mean people who are members of large foundations that purport to support uh, LGBT goals, are considering making quote-unquote compromises on what they call the bathroom fight. So in order to pass other laws that protect uh, members of the community, they are considering not going after and not protecting uh, transgender folks from being able to use the bathroom that they would go into. And this whole piece, you know, time and time again, we hear about how different smaller groups are being threatened by larger groups, uh, that their, their funding will be pulled if they don't accept these, these rules. And, you know, what it boils down to is that there are people who are literally saying that they can compromise on human beings, that a large community can be disregarded for the sake of these other people in the community. And, that is atrocious. Uh, so let's 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 talk about the bathroom fight. Let's talk about uh, the terribleness of a lot of LGBT <laughs> activists, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Well, Micah, I think you left out a few really critical details. What is the the name of the foundation there that was basically um, accelerating pulling the funding? Do you remember that? Um, oh, crud. It's. Uh, the Gill Foundation. Right, the Gill Foundation. So, you know, for the last statement, I think it was in 2013, they had donated, if I recall correctly, $6.4 million for basically, um, you know, LGBT equality legislation, which in practice usually means gay equality. Um, you know, transgender people are usually, like, they aren't hired. You know, the, the, the people fighting for legal rights for transgender people are pretty scrappy, underfunded group of, you know, things. So what happened is, um, and I, I want to stress here, I'm not an idealist. I've actually worked my butt off to pass legislation before. Um, you know, I've worked in, you know, pretty high levels of political operation. Um, you know, in D.C. So I understand that getting sausage made is ugly and it requires compromising on ideals. And I understand the pressure to, you know, let, say, gay men get housing and you know, job discrimination bills passed, that it would be easier to compromise on um, you know, transgender people. And what happened is basically uh, the Gill Foundation, because uh, you know, certain groups like the ACLU were not willing to budge on this, um, the Gill Foundation basically pulled all their funding because they wanted to not compromise on bringing uh, transgender people bathroom rights. You know, this really underscores a problem in um, the, the community. And... I, I want I, I want to illustrate this. I hope this isn't going to make anybody uncomfortable here. But you know, Georgia, Micah, and Steve, all of you, like, we've talked on the show. I know you're down with transgender people. Um, I want to actually go through right now, and I want to ask some just basic questions about things that transgender people face, and just see if you guys know the answer. Because this is really like an information issue. So, um, Steve, you've got daughters. Yep. Um, let's say if someone at your school. Um, a transgender girl comes forward. Um, what has she gone through? Like, did she just wake up one day and decide she was a girl? Do you know what the process was for her? Like, what is the legal status of her, 
you know, having that recognition of being transgender through the school. Do you know that? Uh, what do you mean by legal? St- what like by legal status? Like, what did she have to do to go to school and say, yeah. "I would like to start using the girls' restroom"? I I presume she would probably have to get some sort of a like. I, I don't want to reduce it to saying doctor's note, um, but. <laughs> But something along the lines of that she's been to various psychiatric professionals who have, like, certified it, something like that, that I'm sure (laughs) that she wouldn't be able to just go in and say, hey, I want to use I want to use the girls restroom now that she would have to have some documentation and she probably have to go through some sort of an IEP process, I would imagine, um, in order to get special accommodations with the school. So Georgia, actually, the standards in Canada are exactly the same as the United States. You're a therapist. Do you do you know? Well, it's interesting because we did have uh, in our schools, and Montreal is a little bit more liberal with this probably than the rest sure. of Canada. But we did. We had um, a little boy who um, said that to his parents and knew from a very early age that I am actually a little girl. And uh, mm-hmm. the school was great about it. They changed all of his... Uh, notes, all of his wording. He was able to go to whichever bathroom that he wanted and everyone sure, sure. called through it and mm. they didn't, there was never like, like Montreal. But, but is, my question for you isn't, my question for you is, do you understand what that child had to go through? What are the, what is the process there that I, they had to do? Yeah, to I don't know what the, gender? I don't know what the legal process is. And I don't know if anyone um, here, like it didn't really matter. Like there wasn't any, parents that got upset. There wasn't anyone that was offended. There wasn't anyone that thought that this was going to uh, bother or, you know, cause any type of trauma or issue. It was just, it was, and again, maybe they're like, I don't know actually what they went through and this, I don't know what other people. This isn't criticism. I'm just trying to like, I'm, I'm trying to illustrate a point. Micah, um, let's say you have a friend that's transgender and um, they want to transition and, you know, they've gone through and have followed the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the guidelines, uh, for this, uh, through the WHO, how much do you think it costs for someone to transition? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. And I'm not going to give a just, wrong just answer. Ballpark? So. Just ballpark. I, I couldn't guess. I don't know. No idea at all. Okay. Uh-uh. Uh, Steve, do you have any idea? I would imagine it's somewhere in at least the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, that's accurate. That's accurate. It's much higher for female to male, uh, transgender people. Yeah, my my reason for asking this is it's it's frustrating if you know the public policy because yeah the way that the conservatives um, kind of frame this is like oh someone's just going to make up their mind one day that they're a girl and that's it and they don't understand that you know you have to go to a certain type of therapist with a certain kind of degree and you have to get documentation and fill it out through WHO paperwork and take it to the school and then you know if you're actually going to get on hormones like you know if you're going to actually uh, have gender confirmation surgery you're going to have to have at least a year of lived experience you're going to have to have two other therapists to like certify you and you're going to have to like do all this um you're going to have to pay for it all out of pocket because even though Obamacare is a step forward, transgender people are not covered. There's such a disconnect here in what transgender people are experiencing. And like, look, anyone can listen to the show and understand you guys care about transgender issues, but there's just a lack of information there about Mm -hmm. what people face. So in the same way, you can have the most well-meaning gay people that can believe 
in transgender equality, but because these groups like HRC tend to only hire white straight gen uh, white cisgender gay men. Like the the hiring is overwhelmingly in activist circles that get jobs there. They can't speak for the transgender community. They don't have that lived experience. They don't know what it's like to, you know, uh, to try to scrimp and save when you're facing desperate unemployment to afford hormones. They don't understand what it's like to like get on HRT and deal with the, you know, the the negative effects of androgen blockers. There's a huge disconnect there. And that's really coming through in this policy where, you know, the the story we're going to link to, you have a white cisgender gay man very confidently saying things like this is about moving the ball as quickly as we can and you know what's good for gay men is eventually going to be good for transgender people but they don't have the lived experience mm-hmm. of being in a state where it's not safe for you to go to the bathroom and you have this Jim Crow law that's trying to push you out of the public square so mm-hmm. this is it's a really dark serious situation And I guess my question for the group is, if we are not going to talk about this now, if, you know, cisgender people, if gay people are not going to stand up for their transgender brothers and sisters now in a year where you've seen transgender people have the highest murder rates um, in our history since we started recording it, and a year where we're passing Jim Crow laws in multiple states where people cannot even exist in the public sphere, where suicides are skyrocketing because transgender people are being targeted in the news. What is the point that cisgender people wake up and understand this stuff matters? I mean, this is a genuine question to the three of you. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess part of it is that the there's a there are enough people who view being transgender as a choice and i think that's where kind of the problem comes in that's where the bathroom law comes in i mean it's basically an idea that today i feel like a guy and tomorrow i feel like a girl and and that's right. that's not accurate at all or you know i'm just faking it because i you know i get some sort of a a sick pleasure out of it which is which is not true i mean it's like it's like you know horror fantasies from some you know ultra you know ultra religious person who thinks that their way is the only way of living and i you know as as a jew where a lot of those you know a lot of those you know anti-gay laws come from come from the old testament and get a lot of you know the people who are coming up with a lot of those types of laws don't understand that the reason that a lot of those things were in place at the time was because they actually needed to continue the you know the survival of the jewish people so that's why they were making sure that people you know reproduced against everything else Mm -hmm. you know so that's the whole reason that you know laying with a man laying with a man was against the bible because that was you know considered a waste of you know reproductive energy that could be to be used to be making more jews so steve i would i would i would really have to push back against it it's not just the bible it's geek culture i could go through and and give you a lot of examples so naked gun 33 and a third had a really transphobic joke in it uh you know um ace venture the original one had a really horrific 
joking. You had Zoolander 2 that came out last year, had a, a character that's 100% based on a, you know, a transphobic um, premise. Video games have this all yep. the time. Grand Theft Auto is very, very, very guilty of pulling out the transgender prostitute uh, trope. I recently went through and read all the Harry Bosch novels because the Amazon series is so good. And Michael Connolly may have written a really cool character, but that dude is a level 10 transphobe in a way I don't think he could understand if he sat down and tried to talk to it. So it's not just the Bible. Oh, yeah. My message to you is cisgender people are abusive every day. And sometimes it's with a lack of information where they may not, you know, understand that their behavior is hurting people, but it's also with this culture that really presents transgender people as a joke in a way that's really hurting people I care about. You know, you, you specifically asked, when does this, when does this stop? And what surprises me most is that there were transgender women of color who were at the forefront of the gay rights movement in the very beginning fighting tooth and nail and literally blood and the 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 needle hasn't moved for 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 that group and so i i don't know when this change takes place and it seems to me that it runs counter to what uh, what you would expect from a group that is is trying to fight for not being discriminated against, and it's it's disappointing. And I am coming to understand even uh, some of my own uh, misinformation or lack of information, and how that leads to uh, to harm for others in the transgender community, and. There, I, th- I think it is. I think it's a it's a matter of of more more information and also people not being as casual uh, about their ignorance. And I'm not. I, I when I use the word ignorance, I never mean it in like a, a uh, mean connotation. I mean literally the lack of information. I think that there are a lot of people in the LGB community who are resting on their laurels and who are uh, a little too comfortable with ignorance. And it's a matter of of stepping up and saying, it's time to learn more. And, you know, even for example, understanding the difference between uh, non-binary folks and transgender folks and how uh, assumptions in either court can end up harming the the other. And these are things that, that I have learned and Things that have required, you know, you've got to, you've got to seek out and you've got to, uh, become informed. And unfortunately, many of the mainstream, uh, platforms of communication, again, as Bree has said, are run by cis white gay men. And those are the issues and those are the things that are going to get attention before anything else does. And so we have to seek out and learn and listen. And that's the only way that the change is going to take place. So how how does change happen? I think that at first, like, often people don't care about discriminating against other groups of people as long as it's not them. As long as it's not themselves, they're like, okay, well, at least I'm protected. And if you don't feel it yourself, I think that people find a really hard time to empathize. I think that part of the issue is the media. Um, the media has been creating this mythos of transgender people as 
there's something wrong with them, they're different than us, and they've been used the similar ways that people with dealing with mental illness are. Oh, they're going to do bad things. And they've created this fear in a society where we can do a, a, what in social psychology we call us and them. And that means that, well, they're different than me. And so then it's okay to do bad things because they're not us. And I think that that makes it easier for people to get away with marginalizing uh, groups of the population without feeling bad about it because they're like, well, they're not us. And so then that makes it like, I don't have to really worry about this. And so I think that it's, it's not just day-to-day people. It's everything. The entire culture has this marginalization that we, we get from everywhere, from, you know, the, the amount of white men, old white men taking care of media and saying, this is the way that this is all right to be portrayed. And it's okay to do that. And it's an undercutting to our entire society until we realize that we're all people in this ship together. I, I think I would add to that, Georgia. I think there's a real tendency to to paint religious people and specifically like white cisgender men as the problem with the, with transgender people. And, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of really harmful attitudes with that. But my message to you would be the conflict I've seen with transgender friends of mine talking to me this week and really being upset has all come from liberals and liberals that think they are supportive on the gay rights issue. Really good example. Um, Rocky Horror Picture came out this week. Rocky Horror Picture for almost every transgender person I know, there are a few outliers, is a deeply traumatic, horrible, disturbing film because it conflates um, cross-dressers with transgender people and drag with transgender people, and the character of Frank is, frankly, a rapist um, in that film. Mm -hmm. And it's deeply triggering. It's deeply troubling. And what I've seen this week is when transgender friends of mine have tried to stand up and say, hold on, this isn't okay, then this thing happens with cisgender people where they get very defensive. And just like we were critiquing like white dudes earlier in the show, it instantly becomes about their feelings. And it's so harmful. And every single listener of Disruption out there, I have the most urgent message for you. This year has been more harmful to the transgender people in your life than you know. The North Carolina law has literally put some of the most vulnerable people in America on the front lines of a political game when they're struggling to survive. Transgender people have the highest rates of murder in the United States. Homelessness is epidemic. Lack of health insurance is epidemic. Um, These are really serious problems. And on top of that, you know, transgender people are being targeted. So my strongest message to you is if someone is coming to you and saying, listen, what you're saying is not okay, you really need to listen because I've lost a lot of sisters this year and I don't want to lose more. Yeah, I I think maybe there's something to like being cool with, you know, with being open-minded until it affects some, making you reconsider something that that you love in terms of like media, like, I, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Rocky Horror. I realized, like, Clerks was one of my favorite movies growing up. And yeah. 
I, you know, looking back on that now, like in the past year, oh, it's it's absolutely (laughs) terrible. And there's there's at least and there's probably I haven't gone and rewatched it. I know there's at least one incredibly transphobic joke towards the end of the movie that makes me like feel sick that I was laughing at it back when I was a college kid and didn't know any better. (laughs) So, you know, but it's there's the difference between, well, you know, I guess coming to that myself and having somebody tell me that I, you know, pointing it out. But even then, it's a matter of being able to, like, look at that critically and say, no, you're right. That really is terrible. As opposed to, well, you're taking away my Rocky Horror. Now we're not friends anymore. Um, You know, and and that's that's really where it's a matter of whether you say that you're okay with something and whether you really are open minded enough to be okay with it and realize that things that you loved could actually be harmful to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If there aren't any more thoughts, then we should move on to talk about questions from our listeners. Did, can I just ask a fun question? I wanted to ask all of you a fun question. We okay. should end on a fun note. Let's tonight. end on a fun so question. Steve, this kind of ties to your questions. Okay. I want to hear from everyone. It's about to be Halloween. I want to hear what you listen on Halloween. What movies do you watch on Halloween to really get you into that Halloween spirit? So, Okay. <laughs> uh, my, my husband... I love Halloween. I love getting dressed up. Any any excuse to get dressed up, uh, I'll take it. I, I don't even need an excuse. I just want to get dressed up. Um, so my husband, though, so I don't actually, I don't like watching movies over and over again. I like to watch just the new creepy movies that are out there. Uh, but my husband every Ooh. year watches Sleepy Hollow. Yes. Every year. Yes. <laughs> it is his right. thing. And this is going to be the first year we're going to see if my kids can handle watching Sleepy Hollow. So. Oh. 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 This is scary. Yeah. for for me um i i love like all of those classic halloween songs and i i can't think of it at this very moment but there's one that we always used to listen to in school even uh around halloween and oh the monster mash i knew i I just couldn't think of it at the moment but the monster mash i always enjoy there's usually a playlist on itunes or spotify that just has a bunch of old halloween music and i love to listen to that but um despite the fact that my partner shane he is a, a, a big scaredy cat and does not like scary movies at all. I like Shane more um, and more every day. <laughs> um, he is going to watch uh, The Babadook with me, which I hear, I hear is it's one really of good. the most frightening films and is also very, very good. Yeah. Um, I, I have a good friend who likes to watch scary movies, and she told me that she was about to shut this one off. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to watching this scary movie, particularly with Shane, because uh, I'm sure that he will have a reaction in half while we watch it. Steve, I'm assuming you don't yeah. watch any movies. Yeah. No, I just close my eyes and wait for it to be over. Honestly, I just I'm ready for it to be done. I'm sick of I'm oh, so really? sick of Halloween. I really Ew. am. I'm, Steve, if yeah. I weren't going to be in Canada this year, I would drive by your house and like throw blood on your car. I'm so sure. Like, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> you would love to come to my brother's for Halloween. Well, we haven't we haven't heard Breeze. Bree, what do you watch? What gets you in the mood for Halloween? I I love horror movies. I love horror movies. I, and I think this is like a whole different topic, but horror movies are amazingly feminist. They are. What's your favorite you know, horror movie? My, I, that's like, what's your favorite? I I can't even pick one. Huh. I have so many. So Scream, Scream was so instrumental to me. Like if you were in the theater. Seeing that when it first came out in 1996, 
like with your friends. It is, it was so amazing. It was so amazing seeing Ghostface. And Ghostface is still my favorite thing to go as for Halloween. But um, so that Event Horizon is so good. Yeah, it's that so is really good. good too. Yeah. It's just a classic. The thing that makes Event Horizon so good, if you rewatch it, is they only had $25 million to make it. Huh. But it's, it's right before the era of CG nonsense everywhere. So every set in this science fiction movie is real and physical and they're really pushing buttons and they really had to build like this thing that spins around like this gravity generator. So Mm. it is amazing. It's got Lawrence Fishburne. It's just an amazing film. But I really think... um, God, I think the the movie that I just keep watching over and over again is Resident Evil. Oh, it's not so much a horror movie, but you know, you've got Alice, she's a great protagonist and they just they get that campy awesome feel. I just love them. I think my favorite one is The Ring. Um I don't think it's yes. my favorite movie of all, but that one creeped me out oh. in ways that many movies have not. Um it just um and the one with Di- DiCaprio um when he's on the islandy thing. Oh, um, oh man, what is that called? I know uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, Shutter Island. Shutter Island was yes. also kind of creepy. It gave me some creepy feelings. But the the ring that I actually after I watched the ring, this is a small spoiler, but just a tiny spoiler. Uh, but after I watched the ring, I got out of the shower um, and I looked in the mirror. I scared myself because my hair was all <laughs> stringy and in front of my face. I'm not. That's not even. <laughs> joke i did so it left a traumatic effect on me uh oh okay so let so let me ask you this and and i'll try to keep this quick because i know we need to go but i i I have a listener question of my own and i want to outsource my parenting to all of you which is I know is is a you know since we're talking about scary things for Halloween so because um, that's my biggest terror but so um, my oldest uh, decided that she wanted to go as Pikachu this year. Yes. Um, so she's in full on Pokemon Little Professor mode. Oh it's, it's, God. she's yeah. gonna be so adorable, Steve. Oh, I oh, have she, to say, yeah. yeah. Oh. So, so we, you know, we were looking around. We looked at Target and and you know all the other stores, and nobody had it. So the twins were at a party, and she and I were on our own. So I said, okay, if you want to get it, we're pretty much gonna have to go to the Halloween store because they're the only place that's gonna that's likely to have it. So we go there, and she's like done before we even get in the door. Like there's a wit, there's like one of those like witch decorations, uh-huh. like right Aww. inside the door, and she sees it and she's she's done, Aww. and she's like, I don't want to go in. And finally, like one of the people who comes in says, Well, we'll turn it around, and if she just closes her eyes and you walk her over the kids section, there's nothing, there's nothing scary over there. Well, so I coax her in, and we get over there. We get to the wrong part of the kids section. She sees some of the gravestones, and she's literally paralyzed for like 15 minutes. Uh, I should mention for those of you who are listening for the first time, my daughter is high-functioning autistic. So this is something that is not unusual necessarily, but I certainly felt like father of the year trying to coax her out of like the one one place that she was rooted in to just get out of the store because she was like crying like uncontrollably. Mm. So Mm. we eventually get out and we're talking about it afterwards and we're, we're talking through it. And I'm like, you know, well, people, some people really, really like that stuff. And she asked me, well, well, why? And. I couldn't answer her because I don't look at any of this stuff either. So I guess I guess what I'm asking you is, is as a legitimate question from someone who legitimately does not understand it. Like, what specifically do you get out of horror that makes it fun? Um, but it gives you adrenaline rush. 
Um, so you get really scared. You get that rush of adrenaline. And just like going on a roller coaster is exciting or jumping out of a helicopter uh, with the parachute, because if not, it's a different type of adrenaline rush. Um, and then you've survived. And so you get that feeling of, you know, being on the edge. It gives you uh, a shot of, you know, epinephrine in your system, cortisol. Your heart starts beating. And then you're like, you get that feeling of endorphins after when you've survived. So you actually get a biological feeding loop that people that enjoy this really uh, can can have fun with. And that's why some people really enjoy this and some people really don't for the exact same reason. I I think uh, it, that really makes a lot of sense, Georgia. I can I can really feel that. I I have a real aversion to watching any kind of gore in a horror movie. Like I will always, always, always cover my eyes and 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 I just yeah, I can't watch it. I think for me, um I think a difference in <laughs> our personality, Steve, is like I think generally speaking, you might be more of a, a conflict avoider, and for me, I'm more <laughs> of a, a get up and kick somebody's teeth in. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for me, but that that has its roots developmentally. You know, like um, for me, I it's it's how I survived. It's why I'm alive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, there is something like. Tomb Raider is a game that nearly makes me cry when I play it because seeing Lara Croft thrown in such a hellish situation and Mm -hmm. reach inside of herself to find that strength to keep going, that is really powerful for me. And in that same way, this is the basis of all horror movies. I mean, it's a feminist allegory almost. Think about it. Like, invariably, you have a woman that um, it's a a universe where strength doesn't help you, Mm -hmm. um, money doesn't help you, Mm -hmm. white privilege doesn't help you, being cisgender doesn't help you. You know, it's it's a universe where perceiving the truth and acting on that truth is is what makes you survive and invariably the people that rely on privilege end up hacked to pieces like <laughs> yeah, that's why there's the the, the 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 trope of like the guy who's like oh this is nothing and he ends up right he's you know, the first like being all yeah. he's the first to go <laughs> yeah. so it's a universe that really verifies and validates women's feelings um, so to me, I just find it, I, I like that tension and that fear of survival and it's just, it's a very empowering experience to me. That, that makes, <laughs> oh, that, no, that, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Micah, do you have thoughts? You've been quiet on our show. Uh, no, I don't have anything to add. Uh, I think you both covered it very well. Other than to say that I kind of disagree on uh, white privilege not saving you, because still today, <laughs> people of color end up dying yes. way more yeah. often than uh, anyone uh, who's very not a person fair. of color. I, I thought fair. the trope was they're the, one, they're the ones who are taking off and let all the stupid white people uh, get hacked to pieces, and they're the smart ones who get the hell out of Dodge. No, they end up dying uh, a lot of the time, or they're just the bad guy. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So if you would like to leave your questions of your own, because we are running low, please do get in touch by calling us at 508-418-3532. Once again, that's 508-418-3532. You can also tweet us at underscore disruption FM with the hashtag disrupt me, or send us a direct message. Please do let us know if you would like your name uh, mentioned 
mentioned on the show. Otherwise, we will default to anonymous. Go ahead and give our our show a review on iTunes because that's so great when you do. And uh, if you want to check out any of the articles or other things that we talked about today, head to relay.fm slash disruption. If you would like to get in touch with me for some reason, you can find me on Twitter at Micah Sargent. And Steve, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Wicked Good. And also, um, I've started recording my Hearthstone games for my own review to make me a better player, but I've been starting to post some of the more interesting ones on my YouTube channel. Um, So I I haven't, usually not with voice right now, though I want to get back into streaming, but I just need to find a good time for it. But generally, just I'm just playing without any voice or anything. But if you want to see that, I'll link my YouTube channel as well, and you can go check those out. Great. Sweet. Bree, where can people find you? I find me on Space Cat Gown. That sounds really cool, Steve. Yeah. I might watch that and become a better player. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And Georgia, how about you? Well, if you want to send me an email, you can send it to Georgia at IMORE.com. And if you're dealing with anxiety, depression, sleep issues, uh, you can check out anxiety-videos.com. And now we have uh, cool bundle sets. So check it out. All right. Awesome. I'm going to have to get uh, get Shane uh, a few of those videos after we watch this film. <laughs> All that's left is for Steve to say that thing he always says. So, Steve, take it away. Boo. Nice. <laughs> I like that. I didn't oh, expect it. I was not it. expecting that. Caught me off guard. Uh, see, I, I got gotcha. you. I was scared. <laughs> I got booed. <laughs> <laughs>